If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open that up. We'll have it on the screen here. But we're going to be in the book of Romans. And we're going to be in the chapter 8, verses 26 through 30 this morning. So if you have that, open up to Romans chapter 8, 26 through 30. I want to read the text of Scripture that we're going to be in this morning. And then I want to have us just go before the Lord. So if you have that, read along with me. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Paul writes this. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these few verses that we've just read together this morning. And Lord, in these verses, I am painfully aware that there's not enough time to go through every single thing that we see in here. But Lord, this morning, my singular prayer for us is that we would find encouragement this morning from your very word. Because I know that every single one of us, myself included, hits hard things in our life. And Lord, what do we do with that? Where are you in the hard things? And so, Lord, as we just look and, and, and seek to understand what Paul is saying to us in these few short verses, Lord, I, I pray that even though these are small amounts of words that we'll look at today, Father, I pray that they would have an, a, a huge impact in our faith this morning. I pray that for myself as well as I speak in front of your people, God, this morning. Help me to be faithful to your words. And, oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you indeed do what you say you do is that you intercede on our behalf and so, Jesus, encourage us this morning as we read your truth, and would we be reminded that Jesus is our only hope, and he's a sure one, and we thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray, amen. I love stories. I love them. And I know I'm not alone, because I did a quick search on Google, and I know you can, I know you can trust everything that you find on the internet, right? You can trust it all. It's always the right thing anytime you look it up. I'm being facetious. But Google said this. It said, there are, I typed in, how many books are there in the world? I was just curious because I was like, I love stories. I know the world loves stories. Do you know how many books Google says that we have if you believe Google? 130 million. I have no idea how they figured that out. That's a lot of books, though. And so my son, when he heard that, he goes, wait, how, how long would it take to read 130 million books? And so they had an algorithm for that. And they said, you'd have to read, I think, close to like, I think it was like 1,700 books a day. And so Zeke was like, well, I can do about 50. I was like, well, that's 50 more than I could do. So anyway, I love stories. And it's obvious in our world that we are designed as creatures to hear and receive stories and to tell them. We, we do that all the time. I mean, think about the movie industry. The movie industries are, exist to tell a story to us. And we love it because it's a billion-dollar industry. But why do we love it? I think simply because stories are compelling. 
And so I just wanted to think, so there's a slide on the screen that I want to pull up, and it's like there's this idea of this arc of a story. And if you see right here, this is not my work, so this is what I found on the internet, again, because I can trust everything I look up on the internet. But here's the thing. What you find out about any good story is that it's essentially following this kind of formula. So you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then you see you have the opening scene here, and you have all the different dips and stuff they call crises. Right in the middle, there's this idea that the whole story at some level is starting to build and build some tension. And in any good story that we love or that we read, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there's some sort of tension that we find. Is it not true? The greatest stories that I know and that you probably enjoy yourself aren't stories that are just static. There's no dynamic to it. There's no you know, massive issue that has to be solved or some mystery to be found out or some just great conflict that has to be overcome or, or something like that. And so that's the whole idea. A story's got tension in it, and then it resolves itself. That's how all stories are. And I was thinking about that because Paul, in his letter to the Romans, I think realizes two things that are true about humanity. The first is that a Christian worldview would recognize that God himself is writing a story. You don't have to go far in the Bible if you've ever read it to realize the very few pages of the Bible is actually articulating a story. How did, God, how did all this happen? And God is going to give an account that he is the one that's in charge of the story, that he is writing a story, this grand, massive story that has people like you and me all in it. And if you read history... It's fascinating because you see stories of people, real people, living real lives that have some sort of tension that we've just seen in some shape or form or the other. And so here's this big grand story that if you're a Christian, you would look to the Christian worldview and say, God's writing this great story of redemption. But the second thing is, is you'd realize you and me have a story in our own lives. Each of us as individuals have a story. And the God of the Bible would also be true to be saying that he's writing a story in our own lives as well. But that those two are connected, that's part of the Christian story. It's part of the Christian belief, is that we understand that God's writing this great, massive, redemptive story, but that he's also writing it in each of these individual lives of the creatures, creatures he's made in his image, that each have individual stories that tie in to his great story. Now, I want to share one thing, because when we dive into the text, this will be a key point later on. Stacy and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary last month. And if, I didn't tell Stacy this, so I'm sorry, baby. But this is going to paint you in a good picture, not me. Um, but um, we were going to see, uh, we went to away for the weekend. And we found ourselves with this rare, rare thing, free time. So we were like staring at each other and just didn't know what to do. And so she's like, well, should we go see a movie? And we're like, what is that? We haven't been to a movie in a long time. And so we were like, yeah, let's go see a movie. Anyway, so we look up, and there's one that we decided we were going to see. So we go to see it. And in the middle of this movie, it's going. I'm like, man, this movie is great. Cinematography is awesome. Oh, man, the tension's building. There's a lot of action. I look over, and I'm like, Stacey, isn't this awesome? And she's like, this is Stacy all the time. She's like, this is making me a little uncomfortable. And so Stacy does, oh, hold on, before you all. Um, what she does is this is just how she's wired. She's gotten to this place where she's like, I don't do well if I don't know what happens. And now for me, that drives me a little crazy because I'm like, I don't want, don't tell me anything about the story. So what she does is she goes online and she looks up whatever's happening and then she is comfortable to be able to watch the rest of the movie. 
she knows everything that's going to happen. But for her, she can still enjoy the thrills or the suspense or the conflicts that can happen because she already knows what's going to happen at the end. And so she's not as startled or things like that. That's just not my jam, right? So now I think we're going to see something very specific to what Paul is going to be doing that's actually going to show us that I think my wife is right about how we should view stories. But we're going to come to that in a little bit. But here's what I want you to do today. As you listen to this sermon, which is titled Hope in the Tension, think of your story. Think of your life. We saw that grid, beginning, middle, end. I'm going to presume, and I hope that this won't be a controversial statement, that all of us in here are not at the beginning of our story. We're not at the end. But that at some level, we find ourselves here in the middle of our own stories. Maybe we're a little further along in our middle. Some of us may be catching up right to being in the middle, but you know what I'm saying? I think we all find ourselves in the middle of our stories. So as you look at God's word this morning, I want you to think through that in light of your story and to think through the tension that you've seen in your own life. And I don't think that'll be hard for us to think about because that's all of our stories at some level. And if it's not today, it will happen. And I think that's why Paul writes to us. So let's look at verse 26 together. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The first thing we see right away is that Paul is writing to you and me as weak people. So here's what happens, and I wanted to put this up here. I think when we read the word weakness, at least I'll put myself up front, and if anyone wants to follow me, you're brave. But if you can put the next screen up here, I think this is oftentimes what we think Paul means when he talks about weakness. It's more like, okay, great, yeah, weakness, strength, yeah, I need some help, but I I can do some things too, so I'm not entirely weak, but but go to the next slide for me. The Greek and every kind of word that you can try to parse shows Paul go, you and I actually don't need a little help, we need a lot And so I think this idea for us in our own stories is going to be helpful as it sets up this idea that you and I just are in need of things. And here's what's crazy in this part is Jesus is writing to, um, Paul is writing to the, the Roman church and he's talking about our condition, our need for Jesus. And he says, listen, he ties weakness to the inability to pray what is for, what is right. And so he's saying that the spirit instead is going to pray for us. I heard this somewhere one time where someone said, hey, I often tell someone, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And you probably said that to someone else too, but this person was sharing, I don't remember where it was, he goes, I'm going to pray for you, but more importantly, the Spirit is also praying for you as well. And I thought, wow. And then I went to the text and I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, Evan, he's, that's what he's saying. In our weakness, I don't even know what to pray for as I ought to. And yet, here's the good news for you and me in the middle of our own stories is that we find that the Spirit himself intercedes for you and for me. That is really, really, really comforting news, I think. So the encouragement we are to find in this is that we aren't to despair even when we don't even have words to express. There's times, there's situations in our lives when suffering or tension happens and it's so difficult and you've all probably been there and again, you will. When someone's sharing something, you're like, I'm sorry. And in those moments where we don't have the words, 
the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And what does he say? With groanings too deep for words. So there's something about the creator who knows far more about our circumstance than we who are going through it or we who are walking with people who are going through it. He knows more about it, more intimately involved than we could ever possibly be. But the problem is, do we recognize our weakness in that? Do we recognize the idea that we need help in this? Verse 27 just confirms the work of the Holy Spirit in 26. In verse 27, it'll be on the screen, he says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we are to be encouraged at the reality and the activity that God has for you and me on our behalf in our own troubles and in our weaknesses. And this moves us to one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. And when I saw the fact I was going to be on for this Sunday, I thought, oh, shoot. I'm going to have to deal with this verse. And I love the verse. It's verse 28. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And man, this is the one that we see on coffee mugs, on sweatshirts. It's the one that gets said often, I think, with good intentions. But I want us to slow down on this verse today. I want us to understand in the midst of our stories, in the midst of our tension and the suffering that we have, what does Paul mean here? How do we help one another see the truth of this verse? Arguably one of the most famous verses and one of the greatest verses for us as humans who are longing for God to act on our behalf. What do we do with it? Because I want to make sure we understand this verse. I want to make sure I understand this verse in context. And I don't just throw it out sometimes because, man, what do I else? What else? Well, God's going to work it for good. And, man, again, with good intentions, I think we do that sometimes. What is going on here? I think there's three things that we need to be careful of with this verse. And it's truth. And I think the first thing that we need to do and be careful with in using this verse, Romans 8.28, is this, is that we shouldn't be surprised at tension and suffering. I think it's the first thing we need to realize. Because listen, none of us like difficulty. And yet we read stories, we go to movies, we listen to songs that point to incredible difficulty. They speak to something deep in us, don't they? That's why we pay good money to go see them or watch them over and over again. Or for me, listen to songs on repeat, which drives my wife and family nuts or anyone that I've ever worked with. But there's something deep that affects us in stories about difficult places. But here's the thing. When it happens to us, why is it often that I can be so surprised that something really hard is happening? I think Paul is trying to help us and warn us and say, hey, this verse that I'm saying that God's working all things together for good, it is couched in the idea of look back at verse 18. You don't have to if you don't want to, but verse says, verse 18 in chapter 8 says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is ahead. Oh, verse 22 and verse 23, the creation is suffering. It's groaning, Paul says, and so are we. But then you don't even have to look at Paul. You can look at what Jesus says to his own disciples, right? Jesus says it. You will have trouble. You will go through tribulations. Jesus is saying, you have to deal with hard things. And man, I don't like that. 
I don't want to deal with hard things. I actually think sometimes it's fair, if I'm honest, I hate suffering. But I think we live in a culture that is allergic to suffering too. It's the quick fix. What is it? Just give me what I need to go so I can move on. And I think the Bible's view of suffering and tension and hardships in our stories is very, very different. In fact, I think it wants us to slow down. The second thing I want us to be careful of with verse 28 is this. And I think, again, this can be misconstrued at times. Suffering and tension and hard things don't always mean I screwed up. This is just a result of me screwing up. I did some sinful thing, and now it's God's punishment for me in this. I can't tell you how many times I have heard that as a pastor, sitting with people who would say, well, I, there, I, maybe it's something I did in my past. And it's like, Now, hear, hear, hear me what I'm not saying. Psalm 119.67 does say, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So there is a place where that is true for us, but there's also a place where it is not true. And I think Job is, is helpful of this too. Job goes through unbelievable suffering and his friends who are trying, his friends get a bad rap because they're honestly, I think they're a lot like you and me. They're gonna run towards him in this calamity that's happened, this tragedy to him. And what do they end up finding, like, tr- trying to do? Explain away all the reasons for why this has happened to Job. And I just think that's a default for us is we want to immediately go, okay, like A plus B equals C. So this is why I'm suffering. This is why I'm going through hard things. And I just want us to be able to pump the brakes sometimes and go, that is not always the case. We don't always know exactly why something has happened. Why did the miscarriage happen in my family? Not mine, but in many of yours. Did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Why did my parents die when I was young? Why did I get cancer? I remember my dad, when he was diagnosed with cancer, and his own struggling and wrestling with that, going, sharing with me, Evan, I, I smoked a little bit when I was in college, and I could just see him racking his brain of trying to understand, why is this happening? And I get it. We all do that. We want to understand that. But I think it's really important for us to not always assume that we've screwed something up and therefore that is why that is happening for us. Here's the third thing I just want us to be aware of when we use Romans 8.28. Is we won't always know exactly why we're going through this. See, here's the thing sometimes. We say, God's working together all things for good for those who love him and call according to his purpose. So therefore, sometimes what happens is like, there's going to be this carrot that as long as I get through this, that I'm going to understand fully why I had cancer. And I think that is such, I want to be careful with my words, but I think that's unbiblical. And I think that puts a weight on us that we aren't meant to bear. And that this whole idea of suffering, which is a massive one, and it's a big reason why many people don't trust in Jesus, because they're like, what do you do with the problem of pain and evil? So it's a hard thing for us to deal with. The only thing I would say is that everyone has to deal with the problem of pain and suffering. Everyone, not just Christians. Not just Christians. But the Christian worldview is going to say, listen, just because God's using it and doing something doesn't mean you're always going to know exactly why this idea that there's going to be a silver lining in everything. This is what I think Paul's getting to, because now I want us with those three kind of warnings, caveats, those speed bumps for us, I want us to see, listen, Paul is promising here to you and me in this glorious verse, he is promising there is a purpose. He is. That's what he says. 
There is a purpose, a good one. And here's the thing. If you look just a little bit further on the screen with the the text, and if you want to throw it back up there uh, on verse 28. And could you, yep. We are called according to his purpose. The next verse, which is not going to come up yet, is this. He says, it's to make us more like Jesus. Nobody's jumping up and down going, oh, great. I'm glad I'm suffering right now, aren't I? I'm going to be more like Jesus. Paul's really pushing us here. Paul's pushing you and me with this text. So what is the hope that we have in the tension? If he says that there's a purpose for it and it's to make us more like Jesus, okay, Evan, the miscarriage... Parents dying, cancer. What is it? What are you going to get? What do I got today? What are you going to get? What do you have for me? Well, I don't have anything, but I think the Word of God has something for us. Hebrews 4 15 through 16 says this For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Friends, this morning, there's three things that I think we find hope in in the middle of tension. And the first is this, and we just saw it already in that text that we just read, and we're gonna see it in verse 26 as well. We have an advocate. We have an advocate. And your story, wherever you find yourself today or where you will find yourself in the midst of tension and trouble, conflict, hardship of any sort, Paul says you have an advocate going before you. You know, in the foster care community, I know this just in small tastes, there's this idea that you have in foster care, you have a child who is removed from a home and then is put into another home. And that there's also supposed to be this kind of advocate for the child. And this person is supposed to seek the best interest of the child. And in its perfect sense, that would always happen. I know that's not true. We live in a fallen world. But this idea that there's someone standing in the middle for the child. And that is, a, is an advocate in between the family and the child and the, the social workers. Like that, that is someone doing some real things for you. And so this idea that Paul is saying the hope that you have in the tension, the hope that you have in the midst of your suffering today is not light. This isn't just a a, 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 a patronizing, placating thing here. He's saying you have an advocate, someone who is standing there interceding upon your behalf with groans too deep for words. The challenge, I think, for us, though, in Paul's words here is are we paying attention to that? Because I'll be honest, when my times of great suffering and pain and, and, and stuff, I'm very me-focused. Why? Why? I'm a terrible patient. I hate being hurt. My finger hurts, and it stinks, and I'm miserable. So imagine when something really hard happens and my poor wife has to deal with me. I can get turned inward real fast, and I need help to be pulled out to go, no, listen, Evan, God himself is advocating upon your behalf to make you more like Jesus.
I think the world would just say, man, I hope you can get through it and eat, drink, and be merry for I hope the next one doesn't come. But Christianity offers us a hope and a purpose in that. And not just merely a hope deferred, but one that's happening right now where we have an advocate. The second thing that we see is that suffering has a purpose. Now, here's the thing. For 2,000 years, at least, if not more so, there have been people trying to understand why does God allow suffering? And here's the, here, here's the, here's the quick answer. No one knows. No one knows. That's what I said earlier. The problem for the Christian apologetic is that, man, we, we've got to deal with the pain, the issue of, of evil and suffering. But so does everyone else. So we're not alone. And we're actually on really strong ground, in my opinion, a compelling understanding. Because actually, the God of the Bible is going to go, man, not only do I know it, I've lived it myself. And then he's not only that, that I'm standing in there and I'm advocating for you. And on the second thing, he's going to go, and I'm saying that you have a purpose in it. And that I'm going to use it and that it's not in vain. What other worldview is going to use that? So here's the thing. The biblical view of pain and suffering and that there's a purpose in it means that suffering is transformative. I wish there was another way. We see Jesus model this, don't we? Jesus in his humanity in the garden says, would you let this cup pass? If there be any other way, would you let it pass? But Jesus being perfectly obedient to the Father, knows that something transformative is going to happen as he dies on the cross and bleeds out for you and me and for the sins of this world. That it will transform his people from death to life. And so, friends, sitting here today, I don't say this lightly. I simply say, as according to what Paul is basing his hope on, is that suffering has a purpose because it's transformative and that we have a choice when we suffer, to trust or not to trust. If we trust, we look more like Jesus. We become more and more in his image. And the point I'm trying to make isn't that tension or pain or suffering should, in the words of C.S. Lewis, somehow be palatable. Oh, no, friend. There's no way we describe it. If you've read A Grief Observed, I don't recommend it for this single reason. It is so depressing to read. You're watching someone suffer as he writes about his own grief of losing his wife. And only till the very end does he get to this place that's even somewhat hopeful. And he comes back to the very same thing. No, no, suffering is not being minimized here. And I'm not simply trying to just throw at you, oh, man, you'll be more like Jesus. Again, no one's clapping for that. <laughs> if I could come to you and say, here's the cure to all pain and suffering, my guess is everyone would be like, oh, man, well done, bro. Awesome, let's do this. But no, we got to lean into it because it's transformative. Paul is telling us, and this is just what Stacy did. And this is why Stacy was right. Stacy, you are right. I can say it on camera now. Paul understands our need to know the end of a story to help us get through the story that we're already in. Does that make sense? God knows that we need to know what's ahead for us. What, what hope do we have in the future that helps us in the present? And he's saying, listen, my entire encouragement in Romans is based on what is ahead for you so that you can live today with hope as you have the hope of a future, a Christian view holds space for you and I to suffer and to have hard things. 
because we also celebrate and love a God who has entered into that suffering and pain himself. And so the third hope that we have is this. We get to see ahead. We have a glorious future ahead. Friend, verses 29 and 30 of this text read this. For those whom he foreknew, now we're going to pause real fast. This is where some people are going to get into like, hey, what's all the deep theology here? I want to be very clear. I think Paul wants us to know the theology, but primarily his whole goal here is assurance. He's not here to have an argument. He wants to assure his readers of something here. So let's read it in that light. For those whom he foreknew, big word, he also predestined, there's the P word, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, there's the P word again, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. A lot of scholars call this like this glorious chain. Could you start to see this idea of soteriology play out? This idea, how does Jesus save us? And Paul's trying to simply say, listen, you should be assured that God is the one who holds on to you. You are not the one that holds on to him. And is that good news in the midst of suffering? Is that good news when you're on your deathbed? Is that good news when you're having to deal with someone who's grieving? My my, my desire for you is not that you get more strength to hold on to something. We don't have it. Likewise, we are being helped in our weakness, as we saw in verse um, 26. Jude 24 and 25 says this too. God keeps us. He presents us. He keeps us blameless. We are loved and chosen by God. All of these big words that he's using, he's saying God has chosen us not because of what you and I have done, but because what he has done, his choosing, his love has been set on us, and therefore he keeps us. So the basis of him keeping us and the basis of our encouragement and hope is not that we can do anything, it's that God does it for us. Friend, I know of no greater hope and encouragement in the midst of hard times. Yes, we need to take steps forward. Yes, it means we have actions we need to do. But at the end of the day, the depth of your soul, when you're lying down at bed with tears in your eyes that are soaking your bed, of like, why is this still happening? Why is this about to happen? What am I so, I'm so afraid, I'm so fearful that this is the place where you're supposed to go to, that each of us are to say that we have a God who sympathizes because he relates and because he's gone through it, and he himself has endured the worst suffering ever, unjust suffering, and he resurrected from it, and he promises you and me resurrection. That's why Easter matters more than once a year. Our hope is what's ahead. Paul writes, for glory, we're going to be glorified. So Paul presses our future in Christ as our hope and our struggles today. So the hope that we find in our tension is Jesus. I want to read 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Paul writes this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The hope we have in our attention is we have an advocate and that our suffering has a purpose 
and that we have a glorious future ahead. And I just want to close with a story. How, how, how does this all work? It's with a friend, and um, there's a group of us. We were at a group uh, dinner, and um, we kind of laughed because we started to realize that this group dinner has become just a really special place where the Lord seems to start to do things. And just recently this happened again, and a friend had lost two parents. And it was a long time ago, almost two decades ago. And this, this friend has just really struggled with this. So this is, this is real life stuff, watching it happen in real time. And so we're sitting down, and it's the anniversary of this very difficult time. And this friend was asked by one of our friends, like, hey, like, do you love God? Do you love God still? Man, I really appreciated this friend's response. It was slow. Most of us be like, man, you gotta say, say yes, say yes, say yes. Part of me is just hoping for my own soul. They're like, please say yes, please, 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 please let this be real. With tears. With deep sighs. Shoulders sagging. This person made this comment. It's one of the most beautiful comments I've ever heard in my entire life. And I was just sitting at a dinner table. I was like, I realize what God carved out of my life, he's filling back up again. So many questions. So much pain. Pain that continues, right? It's like an amputation. You don't get that back. You don't get that back here. How do you, how does it work? And this friend is discovering slowly, slowly that God is working a purpose in their life in the midst of unbearable pain, pain that is so difficult for this person that's made them want to run from God more than run to him. And yet, they can say what he's carved out, he's filling back in. And you know how he's filling that back in for this person? You know how that's working, this idea of hope and the tension, hope in your story and mine? It's the presence of God through his relationships, through his people. That you and I get to be part of that hope for one another. We can't answer why, but just like Job, we can answer who. Who is God? And does he really have a purpose for you? And as you continue to take step after step, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, I know that doesn't sound like great marketing right now for this cause. But it's how we're seeing in real time God working this truth out in the life of someone who loves him and who has suffered deeply and greatly and still does to this day. Children who will never know a grandparent. Every date marks something very significant and a loss. And yet, being able to, through tears and through lots of still pain, going, I'm not alone. I have an advocate. And man, also I have advocates. People like us. People like you who get to stand in the gap for people and remind them of truth even when we can't explain everything away. That is real. Because it's what we experience. 
So friend, this is no light topic. But it is beautiful. Because it shows we have a God who loves us. And if you don't know Jesus, I mean, you're probably listening to this going like, what the heck, man? And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, here's what I want to offer you today is this isn't for you right now. Paul is very clear. This is for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Because see, in that place, that is where the power of resurrection comes through belief in Jesus himself who came and stood in the dark places for us. And for you, even if you don't call Jesus Lord, I want to, I want to, I want to, I just want to, I would love to compel you to consider all other worldviews and then the Christian one that says that, man, where does the Savior sit with you in the midst of that? And lovingly give of himself over and over again, even as it feels so bitter to swallow. You're not going to find it. So I long for you who have not put your faith and trust to consider. Could you trust someone who has gone before you and into those very places, unjustly suffering on your behalf, to come in and say, I'm going to be an advocate for you. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? And that hope then can be yours. If Jesus is not your hope, friend, this isn't trying to be condescending. Where are you going to go? Doctors? Other friends? Worldviews? Hinduism? Great. Hope you get reincarnated, but you're probably dealing with the sin from your past. Every worldview has to deal with this, and I, I, I don't know any that give hope the way a suffering Savior does who comes and stands in your place for you and then comes along beside you. My prayer is that you would consider Jesus. And this hope could be yours today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just the time in your word. Father, I'm so grateful that we have opportunities to talk about real things, Lord. That you, you don't sugarcoat reality. Father, you don't sugarcoat our need. Um, Father, the reality of the world that we live in that we all know is broken in every way possible. But Father, we don't have to look that far because we know in ourselves that there's brokenness and weakness in us. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful for verses like Romans 8, 28 that remind us that even in those places that you are doing something sovereignly and eternally beautiful and significant for those who love you. And, oh, Father, I'm so thankful that the basis of our hope isn't on what we do, but what you've already done for us, God. So you will never let us go. What good news. Father, be near to those this morning who are suffering, who are aching, who are in the midst of their own stories with tension. And they don't know how it's going to be resolved yet, Father. Or if it even will resolve in some way that they would long for it too, God. But would they be able today be reminded of, hey, I know the end of the story. And my hope is in being glorified by the same God who rose his son from the dead and glorified him. Lord, we be a people here at Grace Hill that run after each other. Don't try to explain everything away, but say, man, we want to keep pointing one another to Jesus. With tears. 
with words at times and without them at others, Lord. Would we be a people who see this truth and that it's the foundation upon how we care and love for one another, God? So thankful for Jesus who has done that for us and who continues to do that every single moment until we're with him in glory. Thank you for the hope and attention. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.